With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a very special Christmas week edition of Between the Links. And again, if you're here expecting the BTL Championship Tournament Finals to take place, it's not happening. Hopefully next week. Maybe the first week of January, but at this point, there's just so much going on right now. I had to bring back on the man, the myth, the legend, and last week's show went over so well, we just had to do it again, and to react to all the big news and even some other cool things we're about to do is the winningest player in the history of Between the Links, Mr. Jed Mishu. Jed, how are you on this fine holiday week, my friend? Mike, I'm feeling great because I don't know if you remember this, but two weeks ago I picked Juliana Pena to upset Amanda <laughs> Nunes, and I'm I'm still riding high. Let me just say, uh, the the shine from that one it's gone nowhere. I could not be happier with with that prediction, and uh, yeah, still feeling really really good about it, Mike. Just so great. Yes, that prediction. Will will stand the test of time, like forever and ever. That prediction will will be on the Mount Rushmore of predictions. But another sound clip made the rounds this past week, and it was in regards to this past Saturday night, Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley. You sort of laid out the blueprint as to how this fight, in your mind, should play out for a Tyron Woodley win. And what we got was the complete opposite of everything we talked about. It was one of the all-time worst boxing matches of all time forever. Like the, the, for, From second one until the thunderous right hand landed, this was really, really bad fight. The crowd was booing. Everybody was shaking their heads. We're all thinking to ourselves, could this be the end of the Jake Paul circus? Because if this thing goes to a decision and Jake Paul wins, 
this is not good. And then all of a sudden, boom, Woodley goes down in a heap. And now we're having a totally different conversation. So your reaction to the way this fight played out and then ultimately the way this fight ended with Jake Paul landing the right hand from hell. Uh, I'm Honestly, you sort of said it all. That fight was horrendous. <laughs> I was so unhappy watching it because when a fight like that is bad, it makes you question everything you've done in your life to get to that point. Like, it's a Saturday night. It's the holiday season. Why am I alone at home watching this this shenanigans and paying money to watch, to give to objectively bad human being. Like I got no issue giving Tyron Woodley money. Good for him. He has earned, he deserves more money than he's earned, but Jake Paul neither needs money nor deserves my money. And he was getting the lion's share of the pay-per-view that, that you're ponying up there. And so as you're watching them just hug each other round after round after round, you just sit there and question what you've done. What what choices have led you down this road? Thankfully, Jake Paul ended up finishing this fight for us to you know save us an extra whatever that would five minutes. I don't remember how early into the the sixth round he knocked him out. But save us an extra, uh, I guess, ten minutes of our lives. But this fight was horrible. And the the biggest takeaway I have is I was right again, Mike, because Tyron Woodley trying to box Jake Paul went over like a fart. Like, it did nothing effective. It was horrible. And we actually just got to see how bad a boxer Tyron Woodley is because that's that that's my big takeaway. Like, Woodley's thing uh, at the end, why did I drop my hand? I know why you dropped your hand. And anyone who has, has any level of understanding of the fight game knows, you down parried a body shot because he'd been hitting you with body shots. And every time he even acted like he was going to punch you, you tried to parry, and that lead hand came down to down parry a body shot, and oops, this time it was a fake, and he came up with the right hand. That's like level one fainting, and he got you because you bit on every single thing. He was absolutely terrified to get touched in the fight, it felt like, and if instead he had just said, screw it, get or get got, I'm going to go swing, he might have gotten it. Like, Either thing could have happened. Maybe he goes out on a shield, but maybe he knocks Jake Paul out. Instead, he just got actually legitimately outboxed by by a freaking Disney Channel YouTuber. And that's that's it, man. Like Tyron Woodley has to has to eat that one now. For the second time he got outboxed by Jake Paul. For the second time. Now, a couple of things came into play because obviously with what you said, the elementary school comparison I was watching those first two rounds very closely, and I was like, oh, boy, this is a guy who hasn't gotten in any fights in elementary school, and he clearly didn't hear what you had to say. But then there, a was a, <laughs> but then there was a moment. It looked a lot like an elementary school fight between two kids who was like, I don't know how to fight, and I really don't want to get hit, so what if we just hold each other for like a minute, and then it seems like we're doing stuff? Yes, it, it, and that's how it would be. It would be clinches and headlocks. Like That's how those fights play out. But then... Woodley lands the accidental elbow and he cuts open Jake Paul and I'm like, okay, now we can now we can do the Jed Mishu game plan and just go right after him because there's no way that he likes this at all. He knows he's bleeding. He's probably freaking out a little bit. And then Woodley just didn't pick it back up. I'm sitting there watching, like, what is going on here? Like, so then Jake lands that right hand and I'm in the building watching it. I'm just like, oh my god. Like that was one of those like holy s moments in your like live sports viewing like live that you're just going to remember. I'm going to remember 
where I was standing when Tyron Woodley went face down into the canvas. It was just so crazy. But then what came to to mind right away was, was that a billion-dollar right hand that Jake Paul landed? Because, again, had he not landed that right hand, had that not fight, had that fight not ended like that, like, how could you possibly follow up? Like, if we had two and a half more rounds of the clinching and the poor boxing and it went to a decision and Jake Paul won, like, would there be any clamoring to see any more of this? Like, I think it was hanging on by a thread anyways due to this rematch because I don't think the buzz is really there. But if the fight had ended like that, how bad would this have been overall? Like, for the for, for the career and the, the whole boxing trajectory of Jake Paul? I don't know. I've been... I've been thinking about this because Michael Bisping said something. I wrote about it on the site this morning. Michael Bisping said something to that effect of, you know, he's lucky he landed the right hand because otherwise that would have been the end of, of the Jake Paul experiment. And I think maybe there's a shade of truth to that. But my my big belief is that probably isn't true because star power is a really difficult thing to quantify. And I nobody knows what, what makes it or how it is. But a thing that I feel like we've learned time and again is it, it just doesn't go away, like kind of no matter what happens. The, the the series of events that have to occur for people to lose interest, it has to be over and over and uh, a repetitive, you know, lack of delivering. It's like IP, like the, how how many Star Wars movies have they made that you would consider good, Mike? Star Wars, Wars movies? Star Wars guy. Two, three, maybe three at the most. Okay, you know, I uh, the original trilogy is great in my mind. I think they've made a couple others since then of the 10 or however many they've made that were solid or serviceable, and it doesn't really matter. And most, I think most people kind of feel that way. A lot of people didn't like the most recent trilogy, but IP is IP, and so they roll out another one. They're going to, people are going to line up around the block to watch it this week. The fourth Matrix is coming out, and I freaking guarantee you that thing is going to be a billion-dollar movie, despite the fact that everybody universally hated numbers two and three. <laughs> like, everybody loved one. Two and three were awful across the board. Nobody supports those films. And the fourth one is still just going to kill it because IP is forever. And Star Power is a lot like that. Like, I think Jake Paul would have seen a, de- a decline – he would have had to say some stuff to explain, well, Woodley just wanted to hug me the whole time and blah, blah, blah. But I think ultimately his star power is probably not going to be diminished that much. But I think 100% getting the KO erased that even being a conversation. Like now, now we're just in this room where not only has Jake Paul defeated Tyron Woodley, he slabbed him. He put him out cold, face-planted, Okay, well now, now where are we going next? Are we we doing Tommy Fury? Uh, eventually, he is going to fight Nate Diaz, and honestly, I'm legitimately interested to see how that fight goes because, like, not because I care about the fight itself, but if you if you buy into the core premise of seeing where the Jake Paul experiment can go, which I think we do, if if only because the traffic it generates is tremendous. Huge fan of what Jake Paul does for me and you professionally. Uh, <laughs> um, even if I don't care at all what he's actually doing in the ring, because I think he's objectively not good at boxing. But, like, Nate Diaz is an interesting fight. Conor McGregor, which I've been saying for, you know, the past year and a half, and I think everyone who sort of watches or follows 
recognizes that's the ultimate end goal is a Jake Paul Conor McGregor boxing match. Like that fight is freaking fascinating to me because Conor McGregor is legitimately not bad at boxing. However, he's going to weigh 30 pounds less than Jake Paul if they ever get into the thing. And like that might just be enough to to be the difference. Like all of the matches he's called for after the fact, uh, Jorge Masvidal, he'd be much bigger than, um, you know, Nate Diaz. He hits way harder than Nate Diaz, and it's not like Nate is unbeatable. <laughs> there are very clear ways to defeat Nate Diaz in a lot of respects. And so, like, these are all fights that I'd watch um, and that people will watch. So I think winning helped and certainly getting the knockout helped. But I think ultimately, because he's calling out these people who people care about, it wouldn't have really mattered that much if he had gone to a hugging decision over Tyron Woodley. Because if he rolls up and he fights Nate Diaz, you know, next August, people are going to tune in regardless of what happened in his last couple bouts. Just excuse the landscapers here. They decided now would be the right time to uh, to do some landscaping work on the property. So can I get your thoughts on the... Uh, yeah, we got to get ready. Can I get your thoughts on the conspiracy theorists that this fight was rigged? It was it was fixed. The knockout was fake. There were signals. Jake Paul signaled Tyron to drop his hand. And then Tyron apparently is the greatest actor of all time. He is the Leo DiCaprio of the departed of boxing. Like... There's that, like, because there's so many ways you could fix a fight. Like, no one would have the balls to do it. But if you're going to do it like this, there's other ways you could do this where it would work out for Jake Paul and it would work out even a little better for Tyron Woodley. But to get bolted like that, I mean, that that might be the greatest acting job of all time. So I think it's all bullshit. Your thoughts on the whole this is a fixed fight, this is rigged, this is nothing but acting, Academy Award goes to Tyron Woodley kind of kind of bs this fight was definitely fixed they fix fights in boxing all the time i want to be super clear what i mean they don't fix fights by predetermining the outcome because that is illegal and can get you into like serious trouble with the federal government but like they fix fights by making fights that you know the outcome even if you don't know the outcome like we knew what was gonna happen in this fight we didn't know that jake paul was gonna knock tyron woodley out cold but we knew he was going to win, and that's why they made this fight. And so, yes, this fight was fixed. But if you think, one, that Tyron Woodley took a dive, you're just an idiot. Um, like, just straight up, like, whatever you want to believe about Tyron Woodley as a person or athlete or whatever, there's a 0% chance that man would ever take a dive ever for, like, any, any bag that could be offered to him. He's not going to take a dive. That's just not who he is as a person. Uh, not again, not to mention the fact that like that is a crime that comes with some very serious repercussions for fi fight fixing. But like also just it they did it the last time they fought people. The same thing happened and it cracks me up. They're like, well, Tyron had him hurt and then he didn't follow up and punch him. Obviously, this fight was rigged or that's just Tyron Woodley, bro. Like, that's <laughs> right. just not Tyron Woodley fights, man. Like that's. It's you are you're making some real mental gymnastics to get to the end point uh, of Tyron Woodley got face planted when you could really just go A to B, a very logical progression. Occam's razor, baby. The the more simple answer is not this gigantic theatric thing where somehow Tyron Woodley got sweat haloed off his freaking cranium when he got jawed, and then is acting his KO as opposed to. No, he was just uh, terrified of getting touched at all, so he bit on every feint. 
And then after five and a half rounds, Jake Paul finally fainted into a shot instead of just throwing a feint with nothing behind it. Because that's what happened. Jake Paul spent five rounds either punching or fainting. And the first time he decided to feint and then throw a shot, he landed a KO strike. That is incredibly believable and in fact speaks volumes to the quality of both men as boxers <laughs> perfectly said i couldn't agree more we all knew it was going to happen now we, we threw out all these different ideas uh you know maybe it won't happen if tyron does this but we knew deep down tyron wasn't going to throw we knew he wasn't going to go know. in there and be aggressive and let the hands go like he did in the vicente luque fight although that probably was the best game plan it is what it is. I, I, I will say this. Tyron Woodley showing up at the press conference after getting knocked out like that. Good on him. Faces the music every single time. So I give him all the credit in the world. I think he's handling it about as well as anybody getting knocked out like that by Jake Paul. That's not Nate Robinson could handle it. Giving away money to people who takes the knockout and puts it in some sort of video meme. Just, just handling it like a true professional. This is Dominic Cruz levels of handling a loss. But... You mentioned Nate Diaz. If I gave you 20 bucks and I said, put this 20 bucks on whoever Jake Paul is going to fight next. Is Nate the guy? You think they'll go back to the Tommy Fury fight? What, what do you think happens next? I think it's Tommy Fury. I mean, Jake Paul Jake Paul keeps calling Tommy Fury's name. And you don't – He what he has proven more than anything is that he knows how to promote. He knows how to get people interested. He knows how to lay foundations and groundworks to build on. And him repeatedly saying, yeah, Tommy Fury backed out. I don't know if we're going to give him another opportunity. That is all textbook fight promotion right there. Of course you're going to give him the next chance. I know odds on favorite is Anderson Silva. I don't think that's next because I think Jake Paul is smart enough to know that Anderson Silva would beat that ass, baby. And he he's not trying to get that smoke. Anderson Silva can box. And, yes, he is old. But Anderson Silva is a much better boxer than Jake Paul at this stage of their careers, uh, even old-ass Anderson. And so Jake Paul, he hasn't mentioned Anderson a bunch, and there's a very specific reason why. Kid is not dumb as far as this game and his career goes. And Tommy Fury, I still think Tommy Fury is probably a bridge too far for him. I've said it since Jump Street of the Fury thing, but Tommy Fury is a fight that you know, there's some risk there, but he can win that fight. I don't think he has any real chance to beat Anderson. And if he faces Anderson and he loses Anderson's 46, 47, like that's, that's a tough, tough look to lose in boxing to a guy who's not really a boxer and pushing 50 and he probably would lose. So he's not going to take Anderson. It's just going to be Tommy Fury. That makes the most sense. Uh, and it buys him the time because all he's doing right now is buying time for the big UFC names to get out of their contracts. Nate has one fight left. Nate will get that done early next year. I would be absolutely stunned if Nate Diaz re-signed with the UFC because he knows he can get a very lucrative boxing match against Jake Paul. And then Conor McGregor, to the best of my knowledge, only has two fights left on his UFC contract. There's more opportunity for Conor to re-sign with them just because – there's more money there. There's a lot more money at play for him with, and a couple of other opportunities there. But I still think the most obvious outcome is Connor and Nate both fight out their contracts with the UFC. They both box Jake Paul. And then they both finally do their trilogy fight in a boxing uh, ring, maybe in a 
independent UFC or MMA fight outside of the UFC control just so they can get all the money that's generated from it. Because that if that's not their plan, whoever their business managers and partners are, are very bad at their jobs and give me five minutes to talk to them because you will make substantially more money doing that than re trilogying in the UFC or whatever. I think the next month or so will tell us everything we need to know about whether or not a Nate Diaz, Jake Paul fight will happen in 2022 because both fighters want it. Dustin Poirier, Nate Diaz, even Dana White has talked about it. If this fight is not on the books for a March event, then the UFC is going to play hardball with Nate and just be like, dude, we're not going to just like let you fight somebody and then walk over to Jake Paul's promotion and make 10 figures. We're just not going to do it. So guess what, dude? Not happening. Not happen. We're just gonna we're just gonna we're gonna bench you. We're gonna bench you. We're gonna bench you for another year, and then we'll book you a fight. Because uh, Nate's got they can't do anything about it. So yeah, if I mean if they if we find out in the next three weeks that he's fighting Dustin Poirier in March, then we know like all right he's gonna go fight and then he's gone and now he can go on and fight Jake or start his own boxing promotion, which he could probably do with the amount of money that he has. So. We'll see what happens. I'm with you. I think it will end up being Tommy Fury. I think summer, July, August, somewhere in that range. I think Jake Paul probably knows at this point that he probably needs to take a break. Like four fights in 13 months. I don't. I think he needs to slow down a little bit, let the people miss you a little bit, and then come back summer blockbuster, July, August, and against Fury or whoever. But give it also, a rest. Also, needs to get better, man. Like. That dude, that fight was awful for a lot of reasons, not just that Tyron Woodley was bad. Jake Paul was really bad in it. If I'm Tommy Fury, I'm looking at that fight and saying, man, I really I wish I hadn't busted my rib because I would have tooled that kid up. And it is the by far to me, I know he got the big KO, by far the worst Jake Paul has looked in his boxing career. Um, and honestly, I legitimately think that the biggest reason for it is he knew coming in that Tyron Woodley has the ability to hurt him. He had never had to deal with that before. In the last fight after he got hurt, you saw him be extremely cautious moving forward and jab his way to victory. And in this fight, it wasn't just that Woodley was clinching. Jake Paul was content to hug for a long period of time. And to me, that just screams, yeah, okay, now I'm actually, this is the time I'm fighting somebody who I know legitimately can hurt me. I have felt what being hurt feels like. I agree with you. I think he hated the elbow because he talked about it a whole shitload afterwards. Like he, I said it before, man, this kid has silk sheets and a soft bed at home. He is not, he, he is a pretend fighter. Like that is, and not, that is not meant in disrespect because he is actually going out and fighting actual people and legitimately entering into certified combat. But he is, this is not a dude who needs this. This is not a dude who even really wants this. He wants everything that goes with it and the money he can make from it. But if you took all the money out of this, he's not going to go get into fist fights because this is in him. That's just not who Jake Paul is. And you saw that this week. Like, I think you saw that last weekend. And if I'm Tommy Fury, I don't know if, that, if that's in Tommy Fury or not. Based on you know his lineage and pedigree, I would suspect that he's got a lot more of that innate fighter in him because of his who his brother is and where that comes from. But like he just has to look at that and say, this kid can be broken. Like I can make him want to leave. I just gotta hit him. 
And so Jake Paul needs to, I agree, he needs to take some time off, needs to rest, and he needs to get in the gym and get better because I still think Tommy Fury beats that ass if they fight. Yeah, and it doesn't really hurt Jake that much. The, uh, the first L doesn't really hurt. You'll be fine. You come back and you fight yeah. Nate, you fight Connor. That that whole MMA thing is still there. You're still taking on Dana's boys. And I loved what he said when I asked him, what do you want to say to Dana Way right now? I loved it. I, I embarrassed your whole company. Give me all of them. Give me Usman. Give me Mazadal. Give me Nate. Give me Connor. Give me give me all of them. Keep playing that shtick. Keep planting those seeds. Because even if you fight Tommy and, and lose, you still got that to go back to. And I think Jake's done a really good job promoting himself and diving into this boxing thing in just such a bizarre way. I can't believe we are even having this discussion right now, but it is what it is, Jed. So we're this close to crowning an NBA champ. And with the action heating up on the court, it's even hotter at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet. Up to 1500 bucks if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire. 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Here we go. Now we're back to uh, to our regularly scheduled programming, at least for now. The UFC was also back in action on Saturday. Derek Lewis destroys Chris Dacus in the main event. And it was an interesting fight because Derek landed that early flurry and Dacus was able to survive. And I'm just like, oh boy. Like I was kind of watching in the background of my laptop with everything else going on. And then Derek just needs like just just one little ink, like inkling of space to land that one shot. And there's nothing more terrifying than a Derek Lewis who has you hurt because he will just put you away. Your thoughts on the Black Beast bouncing back from that Cyril Gaon loss and just putting the wood to Mr. Christakis on Saturday. I 
Coming into this fight, I favored Chris Dawkins to win, and as soon as they stood in the cage across from each other, I immediately regretted my decision by a great deal and said, ah, crap, he's about to get got. And I based that entirely off of uh, two things. One, I really like Derek Lewis a lot. I think he's a way better fighter than most people give him credit for, despite the fact that he's, you know, number four or five or whatever he is in the in our rankings as, as far as heavyweights go. Uh, he's very underrated in his skills and his tactical decision making like and a lot of that is because he wants it that way you know he cultivates the personality of i don't know how to fight i just fight you know i'm not not a mixed martial artist i'm just a dude who likes to fight and i come in and blah and sure some of that's true like i'm confident that if you just had to put Derek lewis into a grappling match he's probably not going to pull off a lot of subs or whatever that's not his game but he is extremely smart about maximizing what he does well and about getting into positions to utilize his best weapons and so we saw that with the finish against chris Dawkins. somebody posted this on twitter and i don't remember who it was um but basically that entire fight boiled down to as soon as Derek lewis was able to corner chris Dawkins, the fight was over and as long as Dawkins was able to stay at range and be mobile and not have to be in exchanges or in the potent or have the potential for exchanges to arise, he could win this fight. He could just outpoint Derek Lewis over time. But the moment Derek Lewis got his back to the fence and he did it with this like switch jumping lead kick that kind of just caught Dawkins by surprise and backed him up. And the minute he got backed up to the fence, Lewis then just exploded in took all that space away, and then that's just a contest of power versus power, and Derek Lewis is going to win that against just about everybody that's ever lived. And so when I I didn't see exactly that playing out, but when they were standing, standing across the cage from each other, I just looked at him and thought, man, Chris Dawkins is he's not a heavyweight, and he is fighting a real heavyweight who is sneaky good at fighting, and Chris Dawkins is a quote-unquote better fighter you know whatever he's got more skills and a, a wider diversity of skills but this dude is a blown up light heavyweight uh and at some point he is going to get caught or cornered and the fight's just going to be over and that's exactly what happened like Derek lewis you can't play any sort of the Derek lewis game with him and succeed uh and there are other ways to do it but chris Dawkins just didn't have the tools you know cyril Gan is good enough to stay mobile, uh, pick him apart at the end, chop down the leg, and keep that distance forever. And Daniel Cormier can just tackle Derek Lewis to the ground. But if you're not doing one of those two things, if there's ever a period of time where you and he will trade punches, you've just lost the fight already. Yeah, that small apex cage favors Derek Lewis so well. It really does. People think five, like five square feet doesn't make a huge difference, but I think in fights like this, it makes a massive makes difference. Sense. The, the small cage makes makes a huge difference for any weight class, but especially the heavyweights. Like, especially the heavyweights. Good win for Derek Lewis. I think he's beyond rankings right now. You can put him in there with anybody, and people will care. People will watch. You want to do Tai Tuivasa, great. You want to do Francis Aganu if Cyril Gan beats him and, and Gata resigns, great. You want to do Stipe, great. John Jones, great. Like, there's really no bad matchup for Derek Lewis. And as far as Christakis goes... I don't know. I mean, he'll he'll be fine. He'll be a top ten heavyweight, and there'll be some fights Chris for him. Dawkins should, Chris Dawkins should just drop the two hundred five, man. 
Like, he is not a big heavyweight. He's not a small man. You know, he's six three, but what he weighed like two thirty something for for the fight against Lewis, right? Like two thirty five. Yeah. Yeah, like one that like that's twenty pounds, which is actually like that's reasonable to cut water weight. People do that at much lighter weight classes, cut that amount of water weight for a fight. And not to be indelicate, Chris Dawkins has weight to lose. He is not shredded at 235. He's carrying some soft. If he spent any time at the PI and just got down, like I I have historically said that it's better to fight a heavyweight because heavyweight's a trash division. But like there is definitely a ceiling uh for for how far you can go like being puffed up in any weight class. And 205 sucks. <laughs> Nobody at 205 is good. Like, Chris Dawkins should just go to the PI, get his diet in order. He could naturally walk around to, like, 220 pretty easily and then not even really cut that much to make 205. And look who's the – Glover Teixeira is 41, and I love Glover, but he's old. He is old in the champion. Like, that is a wide-open division, and you don't – the prize at 205, if Chris Dawkins goes on a run – he gets to either get knocked out by Cyril Gaon or Francis Ngannou. Those are your two choices. Pick one. They both suck. Or <laughs> you can maybe win the title by fighting Yuri Prohoshka, which would also suck, but at least you have a chance to win that fight. Or like Jan Blavich. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, it 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 just blows my mind that he is he's a heavyweight right now because yeah, heavyweight's bad, but two oh five sucks sucks real ass and you don't have the downside of eventually having to get knocked out by Francis Ngannou. If my career path at any point in time put me on the, on the vertical of, well, if you do your best, if you do really, really well and you're great, your reward is having to fight Francis Ngannou. F that man. I'm going to go do something else because I value my life. Like Chris Dawkins, go, Go fight Magomed Akalaev. Like, that is going to be way better for your health and happiness and title potential. Go fight Iwan Kutalaba. You just got to get out of that first round and you'll win. Yeah. Like, it just, I don't know, man. If I'm just looking at it, like, I don't want to fight. Dude, even like, I don't want to call him bad, not good heavyweights. So, like, Yarzinho Rosenstrike, Alexander Volkov, like, top 10 guys. I don't want to fight them. That's really difficult and will probably hurt. It would be way better to go fight, I don't know, Paul Craig. Come on. <laughs> I, I do like Doc as a chance against Jarzinho right now. But, yes, Volkov, that's that's a tough fight because he's like 7-7 seven, seven, and you're not getting anywhere near that man. I mean, so look, I, I'd probably pick him to beat Jarzinho, but I also wouldn't in any way be shocked if Jarzinho just clipped him. Like, he's just, dude, just go. You you weighed, like, 235, and you're soft. Like, around the middle, you are soft. Not even, like, Fedor soft, where it's, like, there's, like, you could, it's not hard. It's not chiseled from stone, but it does look like a drum or whatever. There's, like, a it's, it's skin being pulled over this, like, barrel of stuff. It's just, like, there's some, there's some extra hanging around there, just... Get that in shape, buddy, and cut to 205. It would be way better for your career in the long run. 
He was 235 and a half for this fight. He was he was actually 231 for the fight against Shamil Durahimov back in September at UFC 266. So, yeah, I mean, get the PI for six, three months. He can make 205 without actually focused losing weight. Like, you could just cut that in water weight legitimately. We'll see. I, I mean, two, him at 205 would be a really interesting thing. One of the questions that has come out of this event, Jed Mishu, and I hate to ask this because I look at this man with high esteem. If my son had posters of this man on his wall, I would not be upset about it. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson goes out there and gets dominated by Bilal Muhammad, and this fight was not close at all. The Gilbert Burns fight was not really that all that close, not all that fun. This fight, great win for Muhammad, but not all that fun to watch outside of maybe the first five minutes of the fight. Can we can we sit on this program right now and say that Wonderboy is washed? Like, is Wonderboy officially a washed fighter? Yeah, man. Wonderboy has been washed for a hot minute. Um, but, I mean, he's, like, washed, washed now. So that's – I mean, let's just – let's be honest. Let's call it what it is. Like, in the last however – I don't even know. Uh, when did he and – when did he and um, Homie fight uh, Tyron Woodley? When did they fight the first time? In seven, 17? End of 16, right? right? What was the first MSG in, card? End of 16, you're right. I'm looking yeah, at now. November 16. 16. And they rematched in uh, 17. I I think probably 2019. Uh, the Pettis KO, that's probably when I would have. And I was in. I was there for that fight. I was, I was working that event because it was in Nashville. And Wonderboy actually looked really good and was beating Pettis. But we have to remember, this was Wash Pettis who had bumped up to welterweight. <laughs> because he was washed and then it was like oh yeah anthony pettis is getting pulled up because he's not very good anymore and then he hits the like springing punch off the cage and knocked out wonder boy and i think that's when we probably could have said yep wonder boy is is done he's not not ever going to be the a guy anymore then he gets the win over jeff neon vicente luke both of those are really good fighters and those are good wins but like he's not it's just clear to me that he didn't have his fastball anymore. And neither of those two men are trying to fight him in a fashion that they're, they were willing to consent to the fight that he wanted. You know, they weren't trying to take him down. And so if you're gonna, if you're going to find kickboxing opponents for him, yeah, Steven Thompson still probably has all the skills in the world to do that. But his takedown defense, uh, which is historically pretty good, honestly. Um, I think he most like, you know, he was decent against Woodley. Uh, he wasn't great. He gave up some there, but he was pretty decent against Woodley. He has historically been difficult-ish to take down. Uh, that has gone all the way, and probably as a re- probably that is because he has lost some of his speed and his his game requires a lot of fast twitch muscles, a lot of reactionary movements. Uh, but yeah, he's just washed buddy. And that's okay. Like he's almost 40. So, you know, he can still win fights. If you're going to match him up against guys who want to kickbox with him. Um, he still is very tricky. He's got a style that is difficult for people to, you know, have to manage. But if you put him in against anybody, even with an ounce of grappling, uh, he's probably going to lose. And honestly, like, I don't know who you match him up with at this point that you're not expecting, at least in the top of the division, who you're not expecting to beat him because most of the welterweight division can grapple. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's he's in a tough spot right now. He's almost, 
I mean, you want to do like a Kiesa fight, and Kiesa probably beats him too. Sean Brady yeah, beats him. Um, him Neil Kiesa Magny probably beats him. Shamayev would like. I hate to do that to Wonder Boy, but that would be like a nice little name to to add to his resume. Um, well, that would have made sense if Wonder Boy just hadn't lost to Muhammad. Yeah, because that would have been the win that propels Shamayev to a title fight. I don't think you can do that now. Right. And speaking of Shamayev and Muhammad, I th- like. I understand why people are glowing about Muhammad and, and saying he's the MVP of the night and he made the biggest step. He's now a top five guy or whatever. I thought he... Blah Muhammad was like this beautiful birthday balloon as this fight was going on. It was blowing up. You're like, wow, look at how cool this balloon looks. And then like he gets on the microphone and someone who was blowing up the balloon was like, oh no, I got to get the door. And then the balloon just flies away and flutters and makes the <laughs> fart noise because he calls out Usman and Edwards, which, you know, cool, man, shoot your shot. And then, no, but but don't why? Shoot shot. But why didn't you call Shemayev there? Why didn't you spend that like on television? Get on the microphone and drop a Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor esque promo on Hamzat Shemayev. That is the perfect time to do it. And then you go to the back and you speak to reporters, and they're asking you about Shemayev. And your response was, "I'd rather fight Hamzat Shemayev for the title than in a title eliminator." And now the next three days, you are on Twitter calling out Hamza Chimaev. No one wants to fight this guy, says Dana White. Oh, yeah? I'll fight this guy. You know what, Bilal? I like you a lot, but why didn't you get on the microphone and do it then? Because you know what? Had you done that, had you gone out there and spit some fire and left Usman and Leon's name out your mouth and just talked about Chimaev, you'd be getting that fight. You would be getting that fight, and you probably have a chance to win that fight. It'd be tough, but you might have a shot stylistically of beating him because you could slow him down. But you didn't do that, and now you expect to jump Neil Magny after not calling him out first? You basically put this guy fourth or fifth on your call-out list, and now he's number one? You blew it, bud. You blew it. Sorry, you blew it. Woo! Heated. Um, I disagree uh, for the simple <laughs> fact of... Uh, and I don't think this went through Bilal's head at all, but he should not want to fight Shemaev at all because Shemaev will wreck his, his house. Shemaev will absolutely rinse Bilal Muhammad, so he should strongly avoid that fight. I don't think calling Kamar Usman made any sense because he's clearly not getting that fight. And so if you don't have the opportunity to do it, I think it's dumb. I think the Leon Edwards, he should have just gone whole hog into Leon Edwards and been like, hey, Leon Edwards and I fought. He poked me in the eye and then ran away like a little punk. Like settle up now. You want you're trying to gift yourself into a title shot. Man up and let's do this, um, and go there. But instead, he did what he did. I agree that I don't think anything he did was good. Uh, but I, I just I think Hamzat Chimaev is the next welterweight champion of the of the UFC, and so nobody should be trying to fight that man unless you're Neil Magny because. Neil Magny is never going to get a title fight ever. So there's really no risk. And if he does win, that's the biggest win he can possibly get. But other than that, you should all pray that Hamzat's name doesn't end up on the other side of the card from you. Because that dude is going to murder everyone other than maybe Kamaru Usman. Right. I get what you're saying, but don't come out three days later and say, oh, yeah, I actually want I'm the guy who wants to fight him. Like, uh, I mean, I'm OK with Twitter posturing, bro. You got to okay. <laughs> you got you a Twitter posture like it's look fighters. But if you really him, wanted that fight, you should have done it then. Yeah, because he doesn't really want it. Cause nobody <laughs> wants it. Fighters get mad when fans, you know, are Internet tough guy keyboard warriors. But like 
Fighters do a lot of Twitter posturing as well for fights that they would probably would take because, again, I've said this many times before, my default stance is that if you're a professional combat sports athlete, if you are a cage fighter by trade, you are not afraid to fight anybody. But that not being afraid to fight somebody and not being a dumbass are two totally different things. And most fighters at least have some concept for more difficult versus less difficult fights and what are better for their careers. Like, I think if Bilal got the offer and that was on the table, he would say yes to Hamzat because he's not afraid of Hamzat. But I think Bilal is also smart enough to recognize that, like, there's a big difference between Twitter saying you want to fight that dude and, like, really (laughs) wanting to fight that dude. Because you shouldn't really want to fight that dude. That dude is something special. Yes, but if you're going to fight him, you fight him now. Like, you fight him right now. Because it doesn't. I think, fight, I think uh, you fight him for the title because then at least you're fighting for the title. Right. But if you fight him now and lose, you could still get back to the title because you're fighting the very special fighter that we've never seen before. But if then if you go in there and fight him for the title and just get bolted for the title, then you're not getting back there anytime soon because you left such a bad taste in their mouths. So I don't know. I just not a fan of it. I think his callouts were bad. He's got no shot at fighting Usman. A very little chance of fighting Edwards. I mean, if you're going to go for Edwards, like just go for Edwards and call it a day, but Edwards will probably end up getting the title fight. So we'll see what happens. All in all, good year for the UFC. There are improvements. Don't give Leon Edwards a title fight, UFC, please. Give Vicente Luque the title fight. He's fun and interesting. Leon Edwards sucks. My whole thought was let Usman take as much time off as he wants and do – and and do Shamaya versus Leon for an interim belt. Like just it's still a title fight. You get the fight. Everyone like the people who are like, oh, now you do Shamaya versus Edwards, even though it's like just tomfoolery after everything Leon has done. And I know you're not a fan of Leon's overall fighting resume. Like the wins are great, but the the Diaz fight isn't the one that's like hankering for a title fight to be automatic. But at this point, like who else is left? Like he took the Mazadal fight, a fight he'd probably win. Mazadal gets hurt. Not his fault. Should Leon just wait till March for Mazadal and just fight Mazadal at this point? Or does he just... Yes. What does he do? Leon should just fight Mazadal because that's the fight he needs. Um, look, man, I've said it a bunch. Leon's resume isn't that good. Um, people are really excited about it because he's unbeaten in his last 12 or whatever a large number it is. But, like, I don't think much about beating Nate Diaz in the year of our Lord 2021 um, the no contest against Bilal is too early to make any kind of credible statement about what that fight means. RDA, sure. I, I don't know how much to value that. I still don't know how how to have viewed RDA as a welterweight. Um, it, he's just a very special circumstance to me. Gunnar Nelson, split decision, not great. Cowboy, okay. Um, like, the Vicente Luque fight before Luque was good when Luque was just fun. Now Luque is good. If those two fought again, I think that fight might go extremely differently. So I, I don't know. Like he's got a lot of wins. If you want to give him a title fight, sure. But I think he needs a statement one to make people even sort of care about that fight. And Jorge Masvidal is the way to boot. Like that's what Nate was supposed to be. And then he found, he found the one line like, there are thousands of choices of ways things could work out. He navigated the one path that was him winning, but making nobody care about him fighting again. <laughs> so congratulations, Leon. 
one in a million in the worst possible way is what you did. So I think you got to go with the Masvidal. There's the heat there. Nobody cares about him fighting. And just let Vicente Luque fight for the belt. It's a new fight. It's fun as hell. Because, again, the way Usman is going to – Usman, I one of the big reasons I don't care about Usman and Edwards is I know how that fight plays out. Leon Edwards has 0% chance to beat Kamar Usman, barring a freak injury. Like, I am sorry to put it as cold and bluntly as that, but he cannot. He is just worse at all of the aspects of fighting than Kamar Usman is. And he doesn't even have the, like, Colby Covington sort of idiot level of, of cardio and pressure that can at least make Usman work in a compelling way over five rounds. Leon Edwards will just get slowly squeezed to death by a superior fighter over the course of 25 minutes. Or... At one point in there, Usman will just hit him with something big, and then Edwards will fall down and die. Like that's that fight has no intrigue because I am ironclad in how it ends. The way you beat Kamar Usman is with a violent burst of offense in a short period of time. Like that's how that's how you're going to beat him, and that is not what Leon Edwards does. That's exactly what Vicente Luque does. That man is violence in short bursts, and it's awesome. And so I want to see it. Like, I made, I've made this uh, comparison for Alexander Volkanovsky a lot. I think it, uh, I think it also bears a lot of fruit with Usman. Um, Volkanovsky and Usman—they're the house. They are the casino. They get, they have small edges that they leverage into big wins over the longer periods of time. And I want to see somebody go all in on a hand and get blackjack. And that's what Vicente Luque can do, man. He can knock him out. He can wrap up a weird darce like or he'll just get beat on the edges but that's a way more interesting fight it's the fight i want i hope that it's the fight that happens but i have very little expectation yeah you're probably right about that so the ufc's 2021 has come to an end jed your thoughts how how, how do you grade the ufc's year as a whole i know i mean we're not going to go back and just break down every single fight card but just from a general sense and what Let's air some grievances. What what can the UFC do better in 2022? What needs to change? Oh, man. That is such a loaded question. I think it was mostly... It's a fine year in that it it is what it is. 2021 is a difficult year to hold sporting events in general. We still have a global pandemic that is killing millions of people and very, very terrible. Um so some of this is sort of baked into that. Like having every event basically be in Las Vegas is a bit repetitive, kind of. I, I I would never have thought about it until COVID happened, but there is actually something dynamic and interesting about the UFC's travel schedule that makes sense if you are a fan in the locations it goes to, but is in a much more real sense. Like I didn't recognize as a viewer at home that – I kind of miss when they would go to England and do a card there. Even if those cards aren't maybe the best cards ever put on because they're front loaded with local talent, that that is something different and it's interesting to see, oh, well this they're doing a card in Philly. This is going to have, you know, Chris Dawkins, the Dawkins brothers and Paul Felder and all these people like that adds a wrinkle that I, I am honestly missing sorely. Uh, I've recognized over the past 2 years. Um, but they can't really help that. For me, the biggest grievance I have uh, is that they still have too many damn fights, dude. There's just too much of it. Um, 
a 40, uh, what, like through 43, 44 events this year. Um, is That's a lot of fighting to keep up with. And that's just the UFC. And that doesn't include contender series. Um, and that, again, that's just the UFC. So that doesn't include the Bellator fights that are good or PFL who try as they might have, have somehow actually I'm, I have some level of interest despite all of their best efforts to make me not care about them whatsoever. Uh, Bellator, I'm losing interest because they are actively trying to push me away as a viewer. Good for them. They're working. Um, but, you know, there's just so much of it. And 15 fights. Like, a lot of these cards are having 12, 15 fights. Like, that is just not necessary. You can scale it back to 10. 10 fights is fine. And that's more palatable. It's just, I have watched every UFC event or every fight, maybe not live, this year. And somebody posted this on Twitter the other day. The amount of my life that got spent on the UFC this year and the amount of money that I as a fan would have spent is unreasonable. And I would really appreciate it if they just scaled some of that back. They got a business to run. I get it. You got to do 40 events because that's what your contract mandates with the SPN and you want to get that 150 mil. Okay. Can we just do them as 10 fight cards, not 15? Like th- there, there's a middle ground here that isn't oversaturation. And that is for years. That's been my biggest complaint. And it remains that. I agree with you. I like, I also think they should mix up the dates a little bit. Like they don't have to all be Saturdays. Like these fight nights don't have to be Saturdays. You could do a Sunday. You could do a Friday. You could do a Thursday. Once in a while, just like mix it up with a different day. So like people can go out on Saturdays if they want to. Or like and watch the fights on Sundays. Like, yes, I agree with you. Ten fights is perfect. Pay-per-views, you want to do 15, 14, 15 fights. I don't care. That's fine. We're all gonna be watching the main card at 10 p.m. anyways. We're gonna watch the ESPN prelims at eight o'clock. Fine. Like, you want to do 14 fights and do three or four in the early prelims? I got no problem with that. But these fight night cards that have 15 fights on it is insane. Especially when you're starting these prelims at 7 o'clock at night on the East Coast. And the main card's at 10 p.m. And you have seven fights on the main card. That is silly. Stop with that. Mix it up a little bit. Ten fight cards. Throw in a Sunday. Throw in a Friday. Mix it up a little bit. doesn't all have to be Saturday. Same time. Mix it. I love the afternoon cards. I really like that. You got these Tuesday night slots. Throw a UFC fight on a freaking contender series card. Like, who cares? Like, you, you, it's your promotion. Do whatever you want. Have some fun. Do some different things. Contender series, have some balls and go back to like the first season where it was actually difficult to get a contract. Make that more interesting. Make the Ultimate Fighter more interesting. Find ways to make your product more compelling than just doing the same thing every single time. That would make the UFC better. And this is arguably the UFC's greatest year of all time. So many good fights, so many good finishes, incredible storylines. Just look at the new champions we got this year. I mean, this is about as good as you can get writing it up. But now we got to take these thoughts, take these ideas. I know you're on a new platform. I know this is a new deal and you have to fill all these obligations. But let's have let's have a little bit of fun with it. Let's mix it up a little bit and try some different things. And let's you know, let's add some let's add some chocolate chips to this vanilla ice cream if you will, Jed Mishu. Yeah, man. Uh look, I I'm always pro creativity. Um, I just, I've just sort of given up on the creativity thing because I know they won't show it. They are strongly opposed to doing anything fun, new, or interesting um, because that's not who or what they are, and that sucks. 
Um, but I like, I agree with everything you said. Uh, I, there are many ways I think to make tough somewhat more compelling though. I don't know that you can really salvage that show being what it is, but I think there are ways to do it. My big thing I'm, I could not agree more on the contender series. I think the contender series is an objectively horrible thing specifically because let's, let's just be honest. The contender series is cheap talent. That is all it is. It is a way for the UFC to mainline talent on 10, 10, uh, 10 K 10 K contracts into their organization, um, which we have seen over the past few years has directly led to them letting better fighters walk away because those fighters cost more money. Uh, which is why you're seeing undercards absolutely overflowing with people without Wikipedia pages. Um, they're just they're getting in cheap talent. Um, that is union busting tactics 101, and they don't even have a union that they have to bust. But like, I don't know. I feel like they don't need to bring. You don't have to sign everybody who wins on the contender series. My thing about the contender series has always been, dude, just make it a tournament. Make it a one-night tournament. You get eight people. They fight it out. Whoever wins gets a contract. I am interested. The UFC is so opposed to doing tournaments, and I don't get it. Because tournaments are linear storytelling in a very digestible format for people who don't give two tugs of a dead dog's tail about your product. They can at least look at it and be like, okay, I, I know how sports work. Eight people, one person wins, they get the prize at the end. I don't even need to watch over several weeks. I can watch for two hours and see who wins this tournament, and then I feel complete. I feel like I have they have done the thing. I have been part of this journey. There's, there's closure here. I have a satisfaction from watching that. I get that doing a tournament on a pay-per-view is difficult because there are a lot of problems that go with it you know, late replacements, et cetera. Uh, that's why they got away from that in the first place. But nobody cares for the contender series. Nobody is watching and is like, oh, well, the replacement guy got to come into the finals and now he's going to win UFC three. And Steve Jenham is the worst person alive because he can't even fight. Bruh. Like no one cares. The contender series It's for a 10 and 10 contract. You're just handing out like candy anyway. At least make me care. Straight up, I didn't watch one contender series this year because why would I? I don't care. I I can do other things on my Tuesday night. If a highlight happens, I can tune into MMAfighting.com. They're gonna show me the cool thing that happened. Otherwise, I don't need to watch regional MMA with stakes, quote unquote. I know that everybody who wins is gonna get a contract. I'll have to watch them the prelim for UFC 270 or whatever down the line. So I didn't watch one this year because there's no reason to watch the contender series unless you are Kaposa. Like that's far as I can tell, that's the only reason to watch. But if they came out and were like, Hey, instead of having five fights, blah, 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 we're going to put eight women's featherweight fighters on this show and the winner gets a contract. Now, granted, if that was the division they chose, they should just sign them all because they don't have women's featherweights. Right. But get my point. I would be like, oh, I'm actually legitimately interested in this because 
I can learn about this guy who will win because he'll fight three times in one night. And so I'll get to learn more about him and I'll get to see him fight a couple of times. And maybe then I'll be connected to that individual as a fight commodity, as opposed to nameless contender series, dude, who beats other nameless contender series, dude, and is cannon fodder to fill airtime at a fight night event in Milwaukee or wherever the hell. Or just do season long tournaments. Like even that's more interesting. Just bring on I mean, eight fighters good. from each weight class and do a tournament that way. One night, this is the first round of the Bantam weights. One night, this is the first round of the featherweights. This is the lightweights, welterweights, middleweights, etc. And just do it that way. And then the next one, here's the semifinals. And then you put all the finals ones in like consecutive weeks. Here's who's getting contracts. These 10 fighters. That's it. Nobody else. Yeah, there's a way. There are an infinite number of ways to make your product more interesting and entertaining, especially when you're the UFC, because they don't have to make their main product interesting. Like they can just leave it being what what it is. Because this year they honestly did a really good job in the in the broad strokes to give them slight propers because I will bag on them forever. Like almost every main event they had this year was valuable and good. There are like two I can think of that should not have been the main event of cards and maybe one or two others that weren't supposed to be, but then kind of happened because of circumstance. And I won't blame the UFC for that. But like, I don't know, other than Ryan Spann, Anthony Smith, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that's just like that main evented. uh, That was the headline fight for a freaking card. They did a really good job of putting at least one good fight on each card, even if every card you know, wasn't top down great, but they could also just be interesting in all of their other aspects. Like hire somebody who, who likes fighting. That is what I want more than anything else. I want the UFC to hire somebody who does not like business because that is what they feel like. They feel like they are a fight promotion, quote unquote, that is run by people who like business who want to do business and make money, not people who like fighting. Hire one dude who just likes fighting, who's just weird and really wants to see fighting in all its forms and fashions, and let that dude be in charge of Tough or the Contender Series. Everything else can fit your corporate funnel of making everything feel exactly the same and under the UFC brand, but have one dude who's doing something cool to unbutton the top button of UFC Inc. and to have some freaking fun because they just never have fun anymore. Like there are fun things that happen, but it is not the driving force of any UFC event. And it hasn't been for, I don't even know how long. Yeah. I mean, and, Yes, these are changes they need to make. I mean, they actually don't need to make them, but they should because it's more fun. But obviously, to- like, there's a lot of good with 2021 outside of outside of 2016 because 2016 was just insane between New York and Connor becoming two division champion and John Jones at UFC 200 and the sale of the company and like all the stuff that happened. To- 2016 was the most newsworthy year in the history of MMA, no doubt about it. But in terms of just like overall quality, 2021 was probably the best year especially for the UFC. This was a really good year for them. Um, there was like one bad card, like out of all of them. 
There's one like pretty awful one, but everything else is like something really good came out of it. There was some sort of storyline we could talk about on this show or other shows. So overall, I mean, this is an A year for the UFC, but they, it could be an A plus, And I know those are very tough to do, but it is what it is. But Bellator, Jed. Ooh, I have more. I have one more grievance. That oh, I forgot let's go. About. Let's go. Uh, I don't want to get bogged down in this because I've said it a billion times, but for the love of God, please pay fighters more money or pay them a set salary or change your bonus structure so it's not performance bonuses and the win bonuses are just finished bonuses. Because every single time that a fighter gets in the mic after a, a win and says, 50 G's, baby, part of me dies. Which means that in the year 2021, 4,000 parts of me died because that is, it happens every single fight that a fighter just begs for – they are – literally that is what it is. They are begging for $50,000 because they need $50,000 because they don't make any money. Like I don't care how you do it, UFC. The best way would be to pay them an equitable share of revenue like other major sports do. Obviously, you're not going to do that. WME paid $4 billion for you. They got to pay that bill down. So, And that, that money ain't coming out of, out of that. But you can do it in a way that still makes that not happen. Like just if you – performance bonuses go away. They don't really mean anything. They're just an attaboy. Finish bonuses. Every fighter gets a finish bonus. That is actually a substantially better way to incentivize – fighters to try and get finishes and compete in exciting, interesting fights than a 50 G bonus for a nebulous fight of the night that is awarded based on no set criteria. Like just, I just, it's just exhausting, honestly, to hear every fighter, especially when you know that the fighter isn't going to get it. I can, I don't honestly know which one's worse. The fighter who's obviously not getting 50 G's, but is just, flatly begging hey dana i can't afford my mortgage this month please give me 50 g's or the fighter who's like obviously going to get it but still feels compelled to say i think that's worth 50 g's like yeah you did a spinning wheel kick ko obviously you're getting 50 g's like just i just want to hear less about the financials because it makes me feel bad that you guys don't pay fighters real money i feel like three years from right now and i was telling ak ak and i recorded a like a ask us anything onto the next one we were talking about this in tampa three years from right now i cannot wait to see what this combat sports space looks like this is the this is the elementary school comparison to in in the year 2000 cars are gonna fly boats are gonna fly all these things are gonna be happening and i feel like we're at this time where we're like three four five years away from octagons flying in the space, like all sorts of chaos, all sorts of craziness where everything is going to change. Everything. And I have no idea what that's going to look like, but I'm so fascinated by all of it, Jed. I can't even begin to tell you. With the whole boxing model, the celebrity stuff, all these fighters jumping on the success of other fighters. We're seeing it with YouTube. We're seeing it with promotions. We're seeing Habib run his own promotion. You bet your ass there's going to be five or six other fighters who feel they could do it just as well, if not better than Habib. So there's going to be this whole space is going to look so different. And then, like, are we going to be having financial conversations? Is it just going to be like, 
is the UFC just going to be the WWE? And I feel like, and I've always thought they were the WWE. Listen, we're not here. You're not going to get rich. We're not going to pay you rich money. We're going to give you the opportunity to get rich. That's why in the 80s and 90s, WWF was a very good spot, but their talent wasn't getting paid a lot of money unless you were Hulk Hogan or Bret Hart or like some of these big guys eventually got to the point where they were making more and more money, but it was always about the opportunity. And Dana White has always talked about the opportunity, but I feel like with some of these new ventures, the WFL, et cetera, PFL offering million-dollar tournaments, Bellator paying fighters very well, UFC doesn't have to change anything, but soon I think they're going to have to, Jed. Three, four, five years from now, I feel like we're having a different conversation. Uh, I hope so. Me too. I, I don't know. My my gut is that they don't because the, it's all top-down. Like, as long as Dana White's in charge, they're not going to make big changes. He doesn't he doesn't care about these things. And so I think Dana White is a seminal figure in the history of this sport. I think he's on the Mount Rushmore, if there's a Mount Rushmore of this sport. Um, I think he did a lot of things incredibly well uh, at a time period. And maybe in – he maybe – he was the only guy who could have done what he did uh, at a very specific point in time. I think since the Ultimate Fighter reality show debuted, uh, Dana White has has held the UFC back from being better. Um, and I think as long as he is in charge of it, he that is still the case. The UFC has succeeded vastly and tremendously, in my view, in spite of him since tough made them burst onto the mainstream. And I think that this all sort of ties back in. No one, there's no way to know. There's no way to prove this theory, but as long as he's in charge of it, the same dumb things that I think hold it back from broader significance and cultural appeal will continue. Uh, And it won't be bad. The UFC is a really successful business but it won't be what I think this sport still could be. Um, and so it will always be a little bit sad to me, but ultimately fine. We shall see. Hopefully the, I think we all are in agreement that the fighters should be paid more, but maybe if there's a, maybe if there's a company that's actively competing with the UFC, that's constantly promotes the grass being greener. And while Bellator MMA has, certainly found some fighters who have who have sung those praises the promotion itself not a great year for them this year some of the storylines played out the way we wanted them to but the aftermath of the year i don't think was all that great for them jed bellator's got a lot of work to do in my opinion and considering the talent roster they have the opportunities that they they present because of that roster because of some of the names on it I feel like they should be in a much bigger spot right now, but they have so much work to do. So many things wrong with the promotion itself. Now, the people who work for Bellator, the PR folks, some of the finest people in the world, I would rather deal with Bellator PR than any other PR in any combat sport, bar none. But they don't, they're not the ones putting the product on television. They're not the ones presenting the fights. They're just making it better for us to cover them. But it's very difficult at times to cover Bellator, Jed. What do they need to change? Because, I mean, we could be here for another hour. But, I mean, there's there's certain things that have to change and fast for them or they're going to be in some trouble. They need to change a couple of big things, one more than anything else. More than any single thing in the world, what they need to change is they have got to get on a real television channel. 
Like I, I've made the crack and the joke about it plenty. Showtime, but straight up, Showtime is not a real. It's not a real channel. Like, it is a real channel. People, some people have it, but it is not a broadly held channel to view sports on. Like, not there is not a soul that I know outside of the combat sports world who has ever watched a Bellator event because they were just on, like they were flip, flipping through channels and, Ooh, I'll go see what's on Showtime. Like it's not PFL because by virtue of being associated with ESPN, which is a channel that every let's, let's just call it what it is. MMA is vastly populated. The fandom is vastly populated by dudes between the ages of 18 and 36 and that every every person who fits in that category owns ESPN. They all probably have an ESPN Plus subscription, so they can just turn on their ESPN app and, ah, uh, what's going on right now on Friday night? Okay, there's the uh, there's the Georgetown women's basketball game, and there's Virginia lacrosse, and it looks like fighting. All right, I guess I'll watch some fighting. What do I care? Like that. That is a non-zero number of people that you can get to tune into your product. And you have to view every event as an opportunity to build a fan base, to get more people interested in what you are peddling. And they they can't do it. There is no extraneous runoff into Bellator from Showtime. Like you have got to get on a real channel, a real network. Like that is first and foremost, the only way I can see people caring about your product at all. Second is a way bigger thing um, in, in the abstract. Uh, I think Bellator is a really stupid name. And I actually think that it uh, fundamentally hurts their ability to create market share because it sounds very dumb. Um, it sounds vaguely, you know, gladiator esque um, and doesn't, it doesn't sound like a sport, frankly. Um, it doesn't really sound like pro wrestling either. I don't know what. If you weren't in the fight game and someone was like, hey, you going to watch Bellator? What would you think that is? You wouldn't think it's a sport because sports are like three letters. Chess. Yeah, you watch. Sure. Like that's that's closer. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the NFL, uh, the NHL, the WWF. Like these are all, they are all three letter uh, acronyms or whatever is that that the right word initials i'm not sure what i'm looking for there bellator is a word into like unto itself and it doesn't it doesn't convey at all what is going on unless i don't know a bellator might actually be a word that means something uh I'm not i think certain. it's a gladiator type thing i do believe it's that's that's what it where it stems yeah, from so unless you speak oh yeah i'm sorry it is latin for warrior so unless you're a freaking nerd who took latin in middle school you just think, all right, this is weird. Um, I don't know what this is. I'm not interested. Like, I know that it's trite to be uh, extreme XFC or whatever the hell it is, but I genuinely think that having a, a product called Bellator MMA is, like, way – I think that's a legitimate barrier to entry for, like, a broad mass appeal of fans because fans know what the NFL is. They know what the MLB is. They – they, they don't know what Bellator MMA is. It just sounds dumb. Yeah, they got a lot of work to do. Their entire broadcast needs to change. Everything oh, about it. About well, no, I, I won't say that. I won't say that. And and I want to put this out there. I don't want the 
like this is an airing of grievances. This is not meant to disparage Bellator, or maybe in some ways it is. And this is not it to is disparage. For me, not for you. But and this, this for me. I want to disparage the crap out of that. And this is not to disparage the people involved, but they need a lot. They need to change a lot. I will say this: when I say you have to change everything, I don't mean that. I think the play-by-play guys that they have right now are fantastic. I think Mar Ronaldo is the combat sports goat play-by-play guy. I think Sean Grandy has done an excellent job. His hiatus, him coming back, he's better than ever. He's tremendous. I wouldn't change a thing with those two guys. John McCarthy is a color guy. Look, he is, he's not great, but he adds value. But what Mm -hmm. it should look like is that, like his role, right? Like your role is the color guy. Like be the color guy. Don't read the tale of the tape. Don't narrate the digital programming. Don't narrate the embedded, the Belters version of embedded. Like, that's not you. Don't do post-fight interviews. Your value is to help viewers understand what is happening in the fight. From the fighters, the techniques, the refereeing, the judging. This is the stuff you know. Like, this is your value. But too much John McCarthy is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It just is. John Color commentating... Good thing. John doing post-fight interviews, reading the tale of the tapes, doing all that other stuff. Not good. Not good. Oh, I think John should not. I, I don't think he's very good at color either. I think John McCarthy has very – the most obvious career trajectory of all time is he's just Mike Brea. Like you just bring him in as the dude in the booth. Hey, we've got a stoppage in the action. Let's cut to John, uh, and he's going to walk us through what this looks like, or officiating, or this is literally the dude who wrote the rules of MMA. Like, that is what John McCarthy did. He invented the rules of MMA functionally. Like, go to him for that. Let's not go to him for fight analysis, because he's not very good at it. I'm sorry, John. You're just not, man. Like, you're not awful, but you're not compelling in a lot of ways and just frankly you're not like you don't have the bombastic interesting personality for that role you are not awful at it by any stretch they're far worse than you but his strength is as he is sprinkled in as all right there's an eye poke let's cut to john let's talk through well here's what you're supposed to do in this you know you get five minutes blah 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 like that's it he's mike perea that's that's how he should be Bellator's obsession with John McCarthy and Josh Thompson. I mean, literally, I want to be in a meeting to understand why. Because I said what I said about John. I I somewhat disagree with that. I actually think he is a pretty good color guy. But just when he's color, like, let him focus on that and nothing else. Josh Thompson. There is way too much Josh Thompson on these broadcasts. Look, you want to... The Mike Perry... Like, you want to put him in that Dean Thomas role, Josh Thompson, like, for 30 seconds to start a round? Fine. Here's how I scored it. This is why that's fine. But to go to the desk to Josh after every single fight for five minutes is horrible. Now, I will say Bellator did one thing right. They put Amanda Guerra in that lead desk role, and she has been a breath of fresh air. Because Jen Brown on the desk, very talented. That role is just not great for her. Backstage interviews before a big fight, she's very good at that. Very good. That's a great spot for her. But you have to find your strengths maximize them and eliminate the weaknesses amanda fantastic more of those mix in some better voice on the desk get josh out of there bring in some more polished fighters the ufc does that very well 
I thought Austin Vanderford did a great job. They had Shale Sonnen on the desk for so long. He's excellent. MVP was good. You have at your disposal Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell. You could put them on the desk, and they would be tremendous with the Managera. Like, what's the point of having Luke and Brian out during these cards to just host morning combat on location? Use them. Put them on the broadcast. Amanda Guerra, Luke Thomas, and Brian Campbell would be a tremendous desk and then throw in a fighter once in a while to like talk about the upcoming fight if it's in their division. Like they have broadcasting talent. Use it. Use those guys. They're under contract for your company, for Showtime, for CBS. Put them out there. They would do it in a second. They'd kill it. Kill it, Jed. I agree with everything you said, especially I think Amanda uh, didn't have. She came in this year, um, like pretty recently, right? Um, like two cards ago. Like yeah, like at the back end, uh, and I totally agree. I think uh, uh, for me, one of the lone bright spots for them. I also think using um, uh, Luke and Brian would make a ton of sense for them. Before you said that, though, honestly, like I was thinking of something different, which would be very different, and maybe feels a bit. Um, uh, a bit too inside baseball or perhaps just too self-congratulatory. I think aside from getting on a better network, which I think was very difficult, but necessary. I think the easiest, fastest way that Bellator could, could up their traction with the broader MMA community in a very tangible way is sign Ariel Helwani friggin' sign him. Like, you, you and I both know Ariel really well, works with us. He is a man doing a ton of different things for a ton of different places. But Ariel speaks and people freaking listen. And he has uh, he was doing uh, analyst uh, booth stuff for ESPN. Uh, I thought he was very good in the role. And more importantly, if you just get attach yourself to Ariel's wagon and people will care more about your product by nature because you aren't making it easy to care about Bellator Bellator, but Ariel is a great champion of things. He'd be tremendous in that booth analyst role um, or in any number of roles you could have working, uh, have him working in. And I think that is maybe the easiest way you could bolster a lot of your shortcomings now, other than hiring me, because I will stop <laughs> bagging on you every chance I get. You guys hire me, and I'll be the number one number one guy. Ask Fight Circus who their number <laughs> one promoter is, because they will tell you it is freaking me. Because most of the people listening to this only heard about Fight Circus because I scream it from the rooftops. So other than me, I think Ariel would be the fastest way to success for you guys, Bellator. Um, and if you don't want to do that, everything you've said, Mike, is totally true. You have a lot of really good people at this. Use them instead of the not good people that you currently use. Yes. Put a Showtime mic in Ariel's hand. Not a Bellator mic, a Showtime mic. Let him be the Showtime guy. Like, that's not a promotion paying him. That's a network paying him. And he's under a network umbrella. Yes. and yeah. but, put it, but still put him on all the broadcasts. You're the Showtime Bellator guy. You're not the Bellator guy. You're the Showtime Bellator guy. I think yeah. that's a great idea. A tremendous idea. And then maybe we won't have to see Gareth A. Davies on the broadcast anymore doing those satellite fight previews. Because... I like Gareth. He's a great guy. What is the point of going to Gareth A. Davies in Europe to talk about two Americans fighting in Florida 
It just doesn't make any sense. That adds no value. Now, when they go to the UK and they go to Dublin, he should be on the desk. Like, throw Gareth on the desk for those cards. That's great. But putting him, like, on an American broadcast, not in the building, and just going to those different shots of him, like, outside of some UK landmark, it makes no sense, Jed. It makes no sense. It, like, it throws the broad... It's in so many different directions. It just makes no sense. We're going to go to the desk with Amanda and Josh for five minutes, and then we're going to go across the world to get Gareth A. Davies fought about about two Florida fighters fighting in Connecticut. Like, that makes no sense. Yeah. Dude, there's so many things that don't make sense. So maybe that's our advice, just to Bellator. Bellator... Hire a, a minister of logic and common sense and just go to them for all of your decisions because a lot of the things you do are not wise. Yes. And there's two last things that I'd like to see them change. One, MMA requires a certain level of professionalism and hype before a fight. And Michael C. Williams is not that. Joe Martinez is. And he's sitting out there part-timing it in the UFC and doing freelance stuff with regional promotions. Why Bellator hasn't thrown a big fat check in the face of Joe Martinez is wild to me. He is the best ring announcer in the sport. And there's no debate about this. Bruce Buffer is a legend. And his voice equates to, okay, this is the UFC. It's Bruce Buffer. And he's still very good. He still gets me fired up for the biggest fights of the year. But overall, Joe Martinez is better. He is better. Bellator not making a run at this guy is a misfire of epic proportions, Jed. Like, epically. So bad. Especially because, like you said, like, he's freelancing it. Like, I don't, you don't even have to back up a Brinks truck for him. Just hire him. Like, he's out there to be hired. He's the best person at this job. Like, I think everybody who works in MMA agrees. I think a lot of fans still, you know, like Buffer because they don't, they're, you know, casual fans. They don't recognize, but like anyone who lives and breathes this stuff, everybody I've ever talked to is like, yeah, Joe Martinez is obviously way better at this than anybody else. He is great at this role. Just hire him. Like it's, that's an easy win. Take the easy wins when they are there because you're going to have to fight for a lot of your other ones. But I, I don't know, man. I don't understand. I would absolutely kill to spend like three hours just talking to Scott Coker, just privately about choices and decisions and how the business is run because I can't figure out so many things that they do. Like, it just don't make sense. And then the last thing, and I think maybe the most important, and it kind of tacks on to your first thing, network aside, I will say this. It should not cost me more money to watch Bellator than the UFC. It should not cost me more money to watch a Bellator event over a UFC fight night. And it does. It costs you 12 bucks. Uh, I think it's ten ninety nine a month to watch Showtime. And it costs you six ninety nine a month to watch ESPN+. That should never be the case. Ever. Ever. Bellator should never be more expensive to watch the UFC. Having said that, Bellator... Because Showtime sucks, dude. Like, I get HBO. Like, HBO at least has good other programming. <laughs> Showtime has billions. They had Dexter. That's it. Dexter, the return of Dexter. I haven't watched a second of it, by the way. I've, I'm not going to watch the return because that show's ending was awful. And <laughs> that show ended like whatever, seven years ago. Whatever. Californication was a cool show when I was in college. <laughs> but like, they got billions. Showtime has billions and nothing. In Bellator. Nothing else. 
So like, do HBO at least is like everybody has HBO. At least do that. That would be interesting. They should do, they should do a CBS Sports app. You should be able to watch this for free on a CBS yes. Sports app. That's what you do for now. Like Invicta putting going on a cable network was a terrible idea. At least the next card is going to be free to stream, and that's what they should do. But Bellator, you got to promote your cards. You got to promote your cards. You got to get these guys on big platforms talking about these events. The UFC does a fantastic job of promoting their cards. They got the videos, but they're also sending their fighters out everywhere to rate, like on radio stations. They're on television. They're doing all these different things. AJ McKee, when he won the featherweight title, like this guy should have been on Good Morning America. He should have been on all the shows. He should have been on Howard Stern. He should have been everywhere. He went nowhere. He went nowhere. He showed up on the broadcast of Logan Paul versus Floyd Mayweather because, well, he was there anyways. Like, that's it. You got to do a better job of putting your guys over because no one knows who they are. AJ McKee should be a way bigger star than he is right now. After he beat Pitbull, he should have been everywhere. He should have been on all the shows. Media market tour, two weeks long. AJ McKee should not have been home for a second. He should have been at this place, this show, this place, this show. He should have been on the Kelly Clarkson show. Everywhere. Get that man's face out there. They did a terrible job with that. And they continue to do a pretty rough job with that. They need to get better at that. Put their stars over. Put their cards over. Because oftentimes, I have fans telling me the day of a Velator event, oh, I didn't even know they had a card tonight. Until like right now. Until I listened to BTL the day before. I didn't even know they had a card this week. You got to do better at that. No MMA fan should be emailing us or hitting us up on Twitter saying, until we listen to your show the day before the card, we didn't even know there was a fight card. You got to get better at that. Got it. Dude, I, I work in this space. Like this is <laughs> my job. And I frequently am like, oh, I did not realize that there was a Bellator Friday night. <laughs> like that, That's my job. And I don't. Like that is, that's not good. Not good, John. Yeah, you just gotta you gotta do better. And I say this because I think Bell I think Bellator could be really good. I re I think they have, the foundation is there to be really good. There's just like little things you gotta do better. Like this obsession over some of the guys you have on your broadcast. Like you just gotta, you gotta move on. You gotta mix it up a little bit. Like, you just throw it in a blender. All the martial arts in a blender. Just mix it up. Whatever comes out, throw on the broadcast. But you can be better. You just got to do it. Just got to do it. Anything else you want to add to this airing of grievances, Jed? Fight Circus yeah. is nothing they need to change, though, so we don't even need to go there. PFL, so, we've already saved them. We we saved PFL. Um, Ray Seffo, if you're hearing this, please. Are you still in charge of PFL? Is that right? Yeah, he's, he's somewhere. He, he's part of he's it. Still, still around there. Reach out. I have more thoughts, um, and I legitimately want to make the damage bar exist because that would be spectacular <laughs> um uh, fight circus i love you forever um you guys are still innovating top of the game uh and you don't need to be saved at all because you are saving mma from itself uh no i got no my grievances are sort of long-standing aside from what we've already talked about and they're not things that will ever be fixed it's just is what it is so no. All in all, I thought 2021 was a pretty good year for MMA, given given the, you know, the parameters with which we had to work, you know, ongoing global pandemic and all. Yes, completely agree. And maybe something sounded harsh, but it's all meant out of love because we love the sport. We love covering the sport. We love doing the show and talking to all of you each and every week. And 
I don't know what the show is going to look like over the next year, but in some way, it's just going to be a lot of fun to to discuss the comings and goings. And like I said, next three or four years, it is going to be a very interesting time. Go ahead. I do, I do have one because I think we're about to wrap up. I have are. one last grievance, and this is not with any promotion. This is with my esteemed colleagues at MMAfighting.com. Oh boy. And this grievance boils down to something you guys are going to see in the coming weeks as far as our end-of-the-year awards go. And I don't want to get too into it because I'm sure we'll talk all about it at the time. But I just want to say that as much as people want to hate for any number of reasons, there is a very obvious fighter of the year this year to me. I think far and away, clear-cut, there should be no question at all about it. And this individual will not win MMA Fighting's Fighter of the Year in 2021 because we are an oppressive group of people who don't respect that Jake Paul is the Fighter of the Year this year. We already talked about him. We don't need to get into it too much. I don't like the man. I have been extremely clear that I do not think he's a good person based on many of the things you can go Google about him. But undeniably if when we look back on 2021 you know there are a lot of fighters that have made an impression that have you know things that will stick out of juliana pena with the greatest upset in, in the history of the ufc and maybe mixed martial arts um charles Oliveira and glover Teixeira winning titles despite their long tenure you know kamara usman putting together this dominant run to become the second greatest welterweight of all time all these people did a lot of great things. But when I look back at 2021, Jake Paul is the fighter I will think of first. And I know that he is not competing in MMA, but he is competing in MMA because all he is doing is boxing MMA fighters. Like that is go talk to people who run boxing websites. Jake Paul is not generating a ton of traffic for our sister site, bad left hook because boxing people don't care about Jake Paul. MMA fans care about Jake Paul. He's an MMA fighter in all but the rule set he competes in, and he is by far the dominant storyline of this year. Hate hate that as much as you want, but ask anybody who works in the industry, and they will all agree that that man is the one who put food on our tables this year. <laughs> and so I just wanted to get that out because he is not, MMA Fighting's 2021 Fighter of the Year, and I vehemently disagree with that because he absolutely should have been. You not I can't argue with that, and you you know what? You could even argue that he has the knockout of the year in 2021 with that knockout of Tyron Woodley. There's an argument to be made there as well. There's an argument. I wouldn't. I, I don't think that's the knockout of the year. I wouldn't even put that in my five. That will be the vote. Even though the year is over, that'll be the most viewed knockout of the year by far. Well, it will definitely be that for sure. For sure. I don't know. Um, I don't know that uh, the the uh, the finish of of um, dude Ben Askren. It's not as good a knockout, but uh, Askren had a lot more people interested in that fight than Woodley did, so I, I could see that being viewed more. Yeah. But You're not wrong. Fan, I got into this argument the other day with one of our compatriots, uh, and yeah, Kamar Usman, Charles Oliveira, um, Juliana Pena, Valentina Shevchenko, etc. They're all great fighters. 
Um, they all had great years. But 2021 was the year of Jake Paul in our sport at, at the very least. And uh, that's that's just what it is. If, if, we, if this was a regular BTL and the final question was, who is your fighter of the year? Jake Paul is the right answer, and I will hear no argument against it. He is the he is the fighter of the year. He is. He is. I mean, you're right about everything you just said. And you can even make an argument that Logan Paul might be the freaking fighter of the year because his night that fight against Floyd Mayweather is like I it's I think it's the most trafficked day we've ever Probably. had. It's up Probably. there. It's just insane that this is this is what it's come to, but Jake I mean, Paul fighter of the year. Short list of it, like trying to think of way back to other days where we did insane traffic. It was pretty, yeah. The no, UFC sale, maybe, because I know that day was a monster. That was a crazy day. That was a wild day. I oh, wasn't like here that, for that, uh, yeah. but just like for what I was doing, and then obviously Mayweather McGregor was huge, and all this other yeah stuff. Mayweather McGregor that. That paid everybody's salary that year. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, that's a huge event. But listen, twenty twenty one was fun. Twenty twenty two, a lot more cool stuff coming up. Jed mentioned the awards. Uh, we'll start. You'll start seeing those awards, and then next Thursday, the plan is a week from today. As you get this, we're gonna have the very first MMA fighting award show, like actual show that we're gonna put together. So stay tuned for that, and I believe you may I see Jed's we... face on the award show because we're gonna do things a little different. Present. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll have to talk off air about this. But we had our first, <laughs> we had our little initial meeting, and we're gonna find ways to do this. And in fact, you can make your Jake Paul argument on the award show if you like to, Jed. So just, I uh... will absolutely make a lot of arguments on that show, <laughs> as uh, you should. I hope that Michael Chandler wins an award and I get to present it. That would make me extremely happy. Oh, that maybe that or, happens. Or maybe Stipe. that happens. Either one of those <laughs> would work for me. I think there's I don't a. Ch- know what Steve A could win this year, uh, other than most comical knockout E, <laughs> but I don't know if that's an award we give. But uh, we might see Chandler get an award him. though. There's a very good chance Michael Chandler gets an award this year for his fight with Justin Gaethje. But I haven't looked at the numbers. I did not vote for that as my fight of the year. I believe, it was, I believe it was – I believe I don't even know if that made my – no, it made my top three. It was in my top three. I think I think it was three for me. It might have been four. Um, I, I picked uh, Volk Ortega for number one, and I don't get why – I feel like I'm on an island with that, and I don't understand it. That fight was obviously the best fight of the year to me. So I'm, I'm going to pull back the curtain because you're going to see it anyways. I went with Yuri Brahashka versus Dominic Reyes as my fight of the year. Uh, that, was, I, that was in my top five for sure. That fight was banger. Go watch it again. I, I implore you. Everybody go watch that fight again and tell me that I'm an idiot for putting that number one because I'm not. You're definitely not an idiot. I just – five rounds is really difficult. It's like has such an advantage over two and a half or whatever. Or did he knock him out in the second round or the third? It was the second round, but both guys were like in serious trouble in that round. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude, right before he got knocked out, Brashka was like on skates. It was wild. That fight was awesome. I picked that for knockout of the year too. So – over Usman. Ooh. Oh, no, I did the Usman one just because Masvidal has never been that. Like, that, that, no, you're right. Usman was going to win. It wasn't that. And that, <laughs> that that was the intersection of mattered and, oh, my God, uh, that I usually look for for KO of the year. But 
that spinning back elbow from, that was in my top five for sure. It might have been three. I think I still went the Sandhagen like fadeaway jump knee. That thing is so sick. That's Best a really good knockout. KO. Yeah, there's a couple for Corey this year, so that that could have made it. KO of the year was really good this year. Some of the year sucked, but KO was awesome. And we're also adding a new category this year, or we're revamping a category. The breakout oh, fighter of the category. year is now the rookie of the year, uh, and you'll hear more about that. Yeah, I think it's because I got like. People were calling for my resignation last year because I had to write the breakout fighter of the year. But even though I didn't even pick the guy who won. Who did you pick last year? I picked Kevin Holland last year. Oh, bro, come on. It was obvious. Hamzat was right, and people calling for your resignation are dumb. It just depends. Like, the argument I made is it depends on how you view it. If it's just like a guy who was in the UFC who broke out in the promotion that he was already fighting in, Kevin Holland is clearly the winner. But if it's a guy who came out, if you're looking at it as a guy who came out of absolutely nowhere to become something massive, then yes, it's Hamzat. So if it's like, I just go for curating, bro. Yeah. Either Start way. Of the year versus end of the year, one guy gained a lot more than anybody else. It was Hamzat. Yes. Yeah. I mean, both guys, both both guys at the end of the year, people were calling for to fight for titles, like fight for titles. Hamzat was booked to fight Leon. But people are talking like, let's just throw Kevin Holland in there in, in a title fight right now. Let's just throw him in that there for the middleweight title because he'd be Jacare. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> uh, lots of hilarious stuff on the way. We're getting out of here. Otherwise, me and Jake could talk yeah. for another hour. So, uh, But that's it. That, I, this, I don't know if this is going to be the last show of the year. If we can somehow do the BTL finals next week, we'll try. Something tells me it'll probably be the week after that, so this might be the final BTL of the year. But stay tuned for that. We will have an award show next week to fill that Thursday slot. I think we might have We Got Next next week. No, no We Got Next this week. So end of the year is always crazy. UFC's off for the next few weeks. And Jed, I appreciate you jumping on here and waxing poetically per usual, my friend. Of course. Uh, I appreciate you, Mike, for you know making this show that I have commandeered for my own ends and purposes. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate all the fans uh, of the show and all the haters as well, because I know a lot of people don't like me, and I, I could not care less. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy for myself to make you mad um, or you to dislike the things that I say, because I I got Juliana Pena upsetting Amanda Nunes, <laughs> correct? And you can't take that away from me. No one can for the rest of my life. <laughs> I think I'm going to put it on my resume um, and that like bottom facts, like additional facts correctly predicted the greatest upset in mixed martial arts history. Uh, the only person to do so. Um, but yeah, I have had a ton of fun this year with you, Mike. Um, I've had a ton of fun with all the other competitors who have come on this show, except for Sean Alshadi because nobody likes him. He's a bad person and uh, I want bad things to happen to him. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to when we finally get to uh, crown myself as the Justin True BTL champion. And other than that, thanks for tuning in, everybody, and uh, have a happy holiday, holidays, and we'll see you in 2022. That's right. Thank you for listening. Good night, everybody. Media Podcast Network. 
With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. Anthropic. 